Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that pontificates on the subjects of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including Apple's CarPlay, a quiet revolution. We discuss the call for cyclists to be licensed or at least carry identification. We review the Subaru Forester diesel automatic. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including the real value of potholes and how Mexican's most powerful drug lord rode to freedom. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. Initially, some car makers began to put cellular connections into their cars. General Motors OnStar, for example. Or they built in features such as satellite navigation. Now the trend is toward not putting these capabilities in the car, but improving the connectivity with your personal mobile phone. But Apple has been developing their CarPlay product, which will now appear in more than 40 new models in America this year. The system can, for example, include suggested driving locations based on your emails, texts and calendar appointments, or link you to most music or even audiobook services. Starting at about $800, Aftermarket CarPlay-compatible displays are not cheap, but they are still less expensive than factory-installed infotainment units. So far, the testing of autonomous vehicles has shown that they are very safe. In fact, the only reported accidents they have had were the fault of a human driver in another car. So how much could you save in insurance premiums if you own an autonomous car? Actuaries at insurance startup MetroMile have done the calculations based on the driving experience of the Google Autonomous Vehicles. Based on a 20-year-old single female in the San Francisco Bay Area driving 19,000 kilometres a year would save the equivalent of about 1,350 Australian dollars. So why do we still need insurance if so few cars get into accidents? Cars might still be stolen or vandalised, but even here the autonomous car might help. Because they could drive off and park in a secure location, they may decrease this risk as well. Autonomous cars might reduce your insurance costs, but they may force your taxes to be raised. The problem arises in that autonomous cars will stop you speeding and may remove your responsibility if you are drunk. The Statistic Brain Research Institute says that American drivers pay over $6 billion a year in speeding tickets alone. What's more, an estimated 4,000 people are nabbed for drunk driving every day in the US, which are even bigger ticket items as far as revenues are concerned. If we are not driving as fast, and the computers are much better at assessing the surroundings, then cars may get better fuel consumption, which reduces the revenue from petrol taxes. Governments may save money, though, through the need for less police officers, traffic court judges, and the municipal workers who process all those tickets. Cameras in cars have been particularly helpful at letting us look out the back and the sides of vehicles to identify danger. Now Ford is developing the use of a camera on the front of a car that offers a 180 degree view of traffic approaching that drivers would otherwise have to edge forward to see. 
Data recorded by the European Road Safety Observatory Safety Net Project indicates that 19% of drivers involved in accidents at junctions experienced obstructions to their view. The UK Department of Transport said that in 2013, vision affected by external factors contributed to 11% of all road accidents. Ford is also looking at using the camera images to adjust the headlights. By detecting things like lane markings, traffic signs and road curvature, they can move the direction of the light beams to better illuminate the road. Some large car companies have created separate brands to reach particular market segments. Toyota has created the Lexus, and Nissan has created the Infiniti brand. Mazda had Unos, and even planned to bring out a luxury brand called Amati. The showcase car was to have a 12-cylinder engine. It never eventuated. Now Citroen wants to make a distinction between their normal cars and the upmarket ones they call the DS. The original Citroen DS, which was built between 1955 and 1975, was a revolutionary front-wheel drive executive vehicle with hydropneumatic self-leveling suspension. The first car to split DS from its parent Citroen has been confirmed for launch in Australia with the refreshed DS5 luxury hatch arriving in November this year. It will be the first Citroen not to have the chevron badge on the front of the vehicle. People who offer to wash your windscreen at traffic lights can be very helpful, but more often than not, they're a nuisance. Now the Christchurch authorities in New Zealand are coming down hard on windscreen washers after a large number of complaints about them damaging vehicles or intimidating drivers in the last year. Sergeant Greg Hume said he had no doubt youth gangs were the main culprits and expressed concern turf wars over intersections could develop if the practice continued. Council policy team leader Claire Bryant said both council and police had sought legal advice on how to thwart windscreen washers after complaints began escalating about a year ago. Another problem has arisen because of this activity. A large number of squeegees have been stolen from garages. And that has been the news. The New South Wales Minister for Roads, Duncan Gay, has in the past said that he did not favour licensing bike riders, although he then then seemed to change his mind a little, saying it was under consideration. It all appears to be rather hard to do, expensive and uh, dubious in its outcome. The other proposal that is now being uh, put before various people is to have bike riders over a certain age carry identification. Uh, now, that whole issue has been raised and tossed around a bit, but uh, in terms of just identification, is that a reasonable compromise for what we want to do? I have on the line Brian Smith and Errol Smith. Brian, uh, the, the great problem has often been that the cost of registering either licensing riders... Uh, versus uh, fairly dubious uh, benefits. Well, true. It, it depends on what we're trying to achieve, whether it's a, a safety concern or it's to ad- address this sort of view among some drivers that, that cyclists get away with too much and therefore you know, they need to be able to be identified so they can be fined for the crazy things that they do. I mean, there's not a strong safety argument, um, something like 
nearly 80% of crashes involving cyclists are the driver's fault, the car driver's fault. So licensing a cyclist isn't going to necessarily make them safer. Uh, having ID is always a good idea um, uh, when you're riding. The other, the other issue about licensing, of course, is that you know more than half of households in Australia and, and about 90% of those ones that have children have at least one bicycle. So you know there's an enormous cost in in licensing yes. potentially children and every every mm. person who could conceivably ride a bike. So it's a, it's a bit of a silly argument. I mean, the question of identification is important. Um, you know, look, the police can fine you, um, you know, if they, what, if they stop the, you in a cycle, actual, whether you're carrying ID or not. I, I, yeah, what's, what's the actual problem there? If they pull over a cyclist and they don't have ID, do they have to arrest them or something? Is, 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 is it a cumbersome thing for the police to administer? What they're suggesting here is, is not that, that we create a new licence for for cyclists, no. but, but if they do carry ID, that they have to carry it. Well, if, they do have, yes. if they do have it, that they have to carry it. I mean, the so, Minister, um, Duncan Gay, the Minister for Roads, has said that he believes that cyclists should be licensed. So, you know, there is a risk that that's what he's talking about. Um, but certainly the, the identification, I would never ride a bike without ID because it would be nice to think that, you know, my, um, uh, you know I can be identified if I have a, a crash or something like that. If you're knocked unconscious yeah, or yeah. Think, things like that. Yeah, that, that, that's a smart yeah, I, idea. I think it's a bit strange, though, because whenever I go out the door, I take my wallet, which has my ID in it, no matter how I'm getting around. And mm -hmm. don't most people? Well, yes. Now, I've ridden a bike a bit and, you know, for exercise. I don't know if I want to carry a bulky wallet around with me with a, the possibility of it falling out or, or things. Um, but, of course, the big issue is that people get very offended when a cyclist does something wrong and they appear to get away with it. But equally, I mean, you know, I was reading a report in the newspapers that said a bicyclist did something silly. We, we yelled for them to stop. A lady had fallen over. Uh, the cyclist gave the one-fingered uh, salute and just kept riding. Well, I mean, that happens with cars too. It mm. does indeed. Mm. And, of course, yeah. one of the issues with cyclists is, you know, there are safety issues and that um, cyclists sometimes don't fit into the road network as uh, easily as other motorised modes. But, of course, the government is at the same time removing and, and, and opposing safe cycling facilities. So it's a bit of a, a sort of a, almost a war on cyclists that appears to be... Um, you know, really what's behind this. I mean, mm. you know, you have a consistent theme around these, you know, micro bandits and all this very pejorative uh, language around cycling. Mm. And they're also yes. talking about increasing fines to something approximating fines for motorists is the uh, the term yeah. they're using. So I think yeah. that if, I guess if you're, if they make, if you make, they, if they make you carry ID, uh, and they can give you a whopping fine for going through through a red light. Then maybe that's appeasing the uh, the bicycle haters. If you have an opinion, by all means, uh, send in and uh, a comment to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Gentlemen, we'll be back in a minute to talk about some quirky news. We'll catch you then. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au.
of diesel vehicles are down overall, but the breakup for different segments of the market tell a range of different stories. Diesel passenger cars are down by about 25% in both private and business categories. But for SUVs, the market for diesel so far this year is fairly flat. In contrast, petrol SUVs have increased by just over 21%, a, a large increase. But companies like Toyota know that diesels in the large size SUVs are critical, hence why they have just launched their new Fortuna. But aside from that, in the medium size SUV class, Subaru has just launched an automatic CVT, in other words, version of their diesel Forester. Is it in an important car for Subaru? Motoring journalist Ian Crawford and I have been driving the new one, so let's compare notes. Ian, thanks very much for your time. It's a pleasure as always, David. Uh, so, uh, Go Auto says that almost a quarter of the mid-size SUVs are diesel automatics. Is this an important part of the market for Subaru? Oh, I think it is. They had a, they had a, a a pretty big hole in their in their model lineup, um, and uh, while they had a diesel Forester uh, for a while now, it was only manual until this new CVT version, and and they were only doing about sixty a month of it because you know the 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 lack of a, an automatic or CVT transmission was was eating into sales. They're shooting for sort of two hundred a month now compared with sixty without the CVT. So. Uh, you know, that sort of incremental um, sales increase is very important for, for Subaru. Of course, their petrol foresters were doing pretty well. I think it's it has been the best-selling uh, Subaru so far this year, although the Outback is skyrocketing and you know, is rushing up towards it. But as I say, the Forester, it's an important car for Subaru. Oh, it is. It's been one of their stalwart models for a long time. It's got a very good reputation. Um, it's loved by a lot of people, uh, especially people outside the cities, interestingly. Um, probably because of its all-wheel drive. Uh, so, yeah, it is a very important car for the brand. It, they call it an SUV, and it probably it's looking a little bit more SUV-ish than uh, the models before, which look like small little station wagons. Uh, it sits quite high on the road. I think it's got about a 220mm ground clearance. That's almost as much as the new Fortuna which is um, a slightly bigger car, the, the Toyota that's coming out, but bigger than, say, a Toyota Kaluga. So it, it does it does sit quite high. Yeah, I think one of that's one of its attractions. Um, you know, people like the, the high-riding driving position. Uh, they feel they feel more secure and, in, and more in control of their driving environment, uh, and that's one of its strengths. I got into the car, I won't say what I came from, but I immediately thought, gee, this feels good. This feels like good quality. I think they've improved their interiors and that uh, quite well, Subaru. Oh, there's no doubt this this new model and, and all the new Subaru models, the, their interiors had let them down over the years somewhat, but, but now they're a lot classier inside um, and um, you know, there's, a, there's far more of a quality feel to the car overall. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I liked it and I felt very, very much at home in it. Uh, it gave me, as I said, uh, was talking about the Outback the other day, it sort of gave me that impression of uh, the feeling you used to get in Hondas, you know, that um, it, it just grew on you and, and, and just felt right without necessarily being able to put your finger on it. Uh, the use of space inside, it's a medium-sized SUV. It, it's quite good? Yeah, they're, um, it, it is a comfortable car inside in the segment. It's... Uh it's not the biggest in all dimensions, but uh, but it does things pretty well in, in terms of space. 
Yeah, in terms of the interior, it, it's not the most spacious in the class uh, in all of its areas, but uh, uh, the minimum luggage space with the seats occupied is 422 litres, and, and if you drop the rear seat backs uh, and make the whole rear flat, it uh, becomes like a little mini delivery van almost with 1481 litres of, of space. So uh, it is a very practical vehicle internally. It's usable, not class leading necessarily, but certainly good. It's got a cargo blind across the back, which I often find rather cumbersome, but you can store it under the floor um, on top of the spare wheel. I thought that was a good option to have. Do you find those cargo blinds tend to get in the way a bit? Yes, I do. I'm in a, I'm in a fairly fancy big SUV at the moment that's worth about 160 grand, <laughs> and... Oh. Uh, and the cargo blind annoyed me this very day, I have to say. Um, I, I'll have to have a look. I've only just got the car. I'll have to have a look at, uh, at how I can get it out of the way. But I, I know what you mean. Ian, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your comments and your time. My yeah, pleasure, David. That's Ian Crawford, a motoring journalist. And we were talking about the Subaru Forester diesel CVT automatic uh, that they've just come onto the market. And uh, it's puts Subaru's competence, I think, in just uh, covering another segment as well. And if you would like to hear a longer part of that interview, you can go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. And we get to the final part of our program where we will talk about some quirky news. And uh, joining me again on the line is Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, I want to talk about potholes. There's a couple of stories around. There's a lady, uh, Despina Kavrick, who was going from her shopping with a shopping cart full of groceries. She hit a pothole in the car park. The trolley jerked sideways and fell on top of her. She was trying to protect her toddler and her three-year-old son. She's got back pain, left shoulder pain, hip pain and so on, and uh, has lost uh, uh, her ability to work and so on. She was awarded, after an appeal, $285,915,000 worth of damage. The other story, uh, and more on the lighter side, was uh, there's now a computer game that has the Pope going in his Popemobile dodging potholes. Are we creating potholes as the be-all enemy of all things, uh, gentlemen? They Do you are. Think there's they, a often, danger here? they often come up Absolutely. in our stories, David. Really, it's about uh, having our facilities that are fit for purpose. I mean, the, the woman who whose shopping trolley crashed because of a pothole was pretty badly injured by it, and um, really the area that this happened in was a, a public road, so the council really was responsible for it. And they are an absolute um, problem. And remember, we've talked about people filling potholes with um, trees in other stories, and even people who've, uh, who've then sort of uh, filled the potholes in to create a, a kind of mural um, mm. with, mm. Uh, of ice creams and things like that. Or just uh, tagged it, shall we say. Yeah, that's right. Um, to get some attention. The dick painting. <laughs> with, 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 with a rather graphic 
drawing yes, over yes. it so yeah. with the view that if the council yeah. fills the pothole, they remove <laughs> the offensive <laughs> drawing. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm I don't sure think. I don't think the pope to do. Yeah, I don't think the pope would agree with that. Yes, I've actually played the game. Yeah, yeah, yes. So, so there's this is a game that's that's meant to uh, sort of point out to the to the um, the, the the prime minister um, in Paraguay just how bad the potholes are. Um, so basically, you you try and steer the pope mobile around the potholes, but if you hit too many of them, the pope mobile explodes. Oh no! I have to find a new pope. I have to, does it does it explode with black smoke or with white smoke, Earl? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I think they went 50-50 and, and did it with no smoke which way does he go does he go up to heaven or to the other place <laughs> I don't think they did that that animation but um, every, time, every time you hit a pothole the, uh, the, pres- the, um, the prime minister or whatever appears and sort of you know uh, oh. as if, as if it's, it's his fault well apparently the, the pope is, um, is perfection uh, can do no wrong. It's interesting that mm. um, that he can't obviously dodge the potholes, or well, they're magically filled for him. Mm. Clearly, potholes are the work of the devil. I think mm. that's what they're making here. So, should you sue council or have them excommunicated? <laughs> <laughs> but 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 other. I thought they were potholy. <laughs> Errol, you've played the game. It seems pretty simple. It's yes. not exactly yeah, this is the most riveting bit of graphical design. No, I think this is made by you know sing- single-digit age children um, as yeah. just a sort of a, a bit of a, a bit of fun to to make their point about about where they live and, and what they see. But uh, how, how did you go with it, Errol? How many times did you blow up the Pope? Um, Should we be talking to? Him? <laughs> but, well, he does. He does come back, and um, <laughs> I, after three days, I, I didn't have to wait three days. Fortunately, <laughs> uh, the, the interesting thing about the uh, the woman with the um, the trolley though was that there was an argument over whether she was on a public road or not, and eventually it was declared that she was not on a public road, and therefore the council was responsible. But yes, if it's a public road, then there are laws and statutes that says you can't sue the authority. Oh, I uh, see. But, but, uh, and, and the New South Wales Court of Appeal ruled there wasn't enough evidence to show the car park was a public road, which I, I, confused me for a little while, but I think it worked this way, that council was saying it was a public road because people use it to rat run <laughs> from one street to another. <laughs> mm, right. Therefore, it's a public road. Mm, uh-huh. mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so so basically, you can get away with any accident, uh, and and as long as you can get the the wherever you had it declared as not a public road, and then off to, off to sue you go. Hmm. What did she get? That's why that's why you want to get uh, is it house insurance uh, because it has some, some public trips, liability yeah, in it. Trips on your your property. Mm. Errol, you have a story for us. Well, this is a, an escape story, David, and it puts most Hollywood movies to shame. Mexico's most powerful drug lord, El Chapo, uh, he's not as happy as he sounds, he escaped from a high-security Mexican prison on the back of a motorbike riding along a 1.5-kilometre-long tunnel that had been dug under the prison from a nearby housing estate. Um, the fact that they managed to make the tunnel that long with lights and ventilation 
and make the uh, final vertical shaft exactly to the point in his cell where the cameras didn't see. I don't think that's a coincidence. You think there might be some a rather underhand certain things. I'm yes. just amazed at the level of comfort that this tunnel has. Mm. It's ventilated. Did they need ventilation in the Great Escape? I, I, I wonder. That's a good you know, question. So, I don't remember any ventilation in the Great Escape, but it probably wasn't well, 1.5 kilometres long. Oh, that's true. Is it climate <laughs> control? The, the other thing that amazes me, he's got a motorbike to go along. Couldn't he walk? Well, look, I believe the motorbike was used to help shift some of the soil. It's a fantastic idea. It's like a little train. Um, you know, sort of has a kind of runs on, on a rail system. Uh, yeah, and they use the motorbike to shift the soil more quickly. How much noise would this thing have made? Surely would have you would know, think yes. someone would have heard this. This well, is a pretty well, major I, I excavation. Thought, apparently, I would have thought the motorbike would have made yeah. noise up the tunnel and, mm. and, you know, of course there was a, a hole in the ground. Surely you heard the motorbike. I think he should have ridden a push bike. Maybe they thought it was just those kids, <laughs> those pesky kids with their trail bikes. Well, you don't think he was being environmentally friendly, David, when he escaped? Oh, well, well it, yeah. you know, he's, sending, yeah. he's sending a bad image to the kiddies. <laughs> it's a bad message, isn't it? Yeah. He's a drug dealer, yeah. of course, but... <laughs> Well, well. So he's he's a prominent personality. So he's a role model. You know, I th I think he should have been saying that, and it had little tracks there for it too, which I think is amazing. I guess that might have been to put little trolleys on to take the dirt and rock out of. I don't know, but I admire that. Look, this these drug people. Uh, apparently, they reckon it would take two years to do it, but because he's the top dog, they these guys did it quickly. So they did it quickly. They've put a railway track in it. Uh, they've managed to do it without offending anybody above the ground. I think we ought to use them for infrastructure uh, building in Sydney's in, in cities in Sydney and, and, and they Australia. They put the light rail in for us. <laughs> Private sector, and no one would know about Get it. Get things done, right? So, yeah. They'd have a lot and of small children as lookouts, wouldn't they? <laughs> so we, we need more drug Walking dealers. around the street dropping dirt through their trousers. <laughs> like the Great Escape. <laughs> yeah. All right, gentlemen, good to talk to you. Thanks again for your thoughts and your time. Thank you, David. That's Brian Smith and Errol Smith talking some unusual stories in the wonderful world of motoring and transport. And you can hear a longer version if you would like to go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Ian Crawford and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>